At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 404, and today we are talking about books being released on March 7th, 2023, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Danica Ellis, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Danica, I just figured out why we were having so many technical problems before we oh. started recording. Because this is episode 404. Oh, yeah, it does <laughs> which, is, which is the error code. <laughs> See, I was thinking, because I started this new thing where I've been looking up the episode numbers as area code numbers, and it turns out that 404 is Atlanta, which is pretty exciting. It says it serves Atlanta and its closest suburbs. Which is fun. I like the Atlanta Hawks. Sorry about their coach. But now I understand, like, it's also the error number. So yeah. that, is, that is a problem. Been living up to that, for sure. <laughs> I'm just so happy that we're finally recording. It was getting yeah. a little hairy there for a while. <laughs> so hi. So, so Danica, before we get started, I was wondering if you would just take a moment and talk about having a Fantasia. Because... My husband, several months ago, was listening to a podcast, and someone on the podcast was talking about having aphantasia, and everything sort of clicked for him, and it turns out that he has aphantasia. And so I was wondering if you would just take a moment and talk about like what that is and, and what it's like reading with aphantasia. Yeah, I don't have total aphantasia. So aphantasia is when you can't see any images in your mind, and in your inner eye or whatever you want to call it. I can sometimes see like shadowy images or I can see it for a split second and then it disappears. So I have basically really bad vision inside my head. <laughs> I don't see images very well. And I know for a lot of people, reading is like watching a movie play out in their mind, which is just absolutely not my experience at all. I don't really see anything in my head when I read. And I actually wrote a post about this. And a lot of people think that sounds really sad. But to me, I'm like, well, I can already watch movies and TV. Like, I don't, I don't need another one of those. But for me, reading is like, it's hard to explain. But it's basically being immersed in pure meaning. Like, I just absorb the actual meaning of it. I get the emotional side of it, but I don't actually see anything or really hear anything when I read either. I kind of broke that, what do they call that? That inner narrator, subvocalization. I stopped subvocalizing when I was younger so I could read faster. So I don't see or hear anything in my head when I read, but I love reading. I think it's great. <laughs> no, it's it's just so interesting to me. Um, I asked you to mention it because, you know, what if someone else was listening and they mm -hmm. went, oh, that makes so much sense to me, you know? But I mean, I am on the other end where oh, really? I, have almost, I have almost photographic, um, photographic oh, memory. Wow. And so 
when when he discovered this, because it's not something that he really like mentioned, because he doesn't read mm-hmm. a lot. Uh, he did when he was younger, but now he doesn't. You know, so I was I had all these questions for him, and, and I was just completely fascinated by it because for me, I can see everything. <laughs> but you shared this great video that was on YouTube the mm-hmm. other day on our our work Slack, and you know there was a, a person talking about how it's like having a fog in the back of her mind, and she can just sense things. She says mm-hmm. it feels like there's like someone standing like behind you, like you know they're there, but you can't see them. She says that's what mm-hmm. I'm reading, and I just I thought it was so fascinating. Yeah. So, so uh, thank you for for talking about it with me. Yeah, I just I had no idea. You know, it's just really interesting. <laughs> I love hearing how different people's minds work. Mm-hmm. It's it's always fascinating to me. I do think it probably is partly why I have such a bad memory because I can't remember anything visually and I think that's sort of the easiest <laughs> way to remember things so I need a lot more tricks for that. Yeah. that it's, it's interesting that you say that because you know my husband is the same way and we mm. and now we're like oh is that why yeah but anyway so we're going to talk about books today but before mm. we do that we have a new thing to discuss mm-hmm. the deep dive. If you are looking for fascinating stories, informed takes, useful advice, and more from experts in the world of books and reading, you can subscribe to Book Riot's newest newsletter, The Deep Dive, to get exclusive content delivered to your inbox. Subscribe and choose your membership level today at bookriot.substack.com. We're tapping the experts to share longer gems based on years of knowledge about books and publishing, experiences as readers and book curators, and research on lesser-known histories to illuminate and inspire book lovers. For $5 a month, you get this deep-dive edition of our newsletter in your inbox twice a month. If you're on the fence or need some time before making the commitment, a free subscription will get you the Splash Pad, which rounds off some of our experts' recommended reading and bookish lifestyle goods monthly. I'll be one of the writers. Yay! Yeah. You can go to bookriot.substack.com and check it out. And now we're going to hear from a sponsor. Okay. So I am very excited about my first book today. It has like the cutest little cover. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, what's that? I want to read it. It has a like little bat monster on the cover. And it is Monstrilio by Gerardo Samano Cordova. This is a beautiful debut about a monster. But actually, the real monster in this book is grief. There is going to be a lot of discussion of child death uh, in the book and also right now as I tell you about it. So just a heads up about that. But it is about a couple, Magos and Jonathan. She is from Mexico. He is from the States. They met and lived together in Mexico. They got married. They had a son, Santiago. And before he was born, they discovered that Santiago only had one lung. And they told Magos and Jonathan that he wouldn't live longer than a day when he was born. But Santiago is born and he lives a day and he lives another day and he continues to live. And he has problems breathing Sometimes he has these episodes where he has to like lay down and she presses on his chest and he, he tries to breathe, you know, but he's growing. He's, he's, and the years are going by. And so they decide to move to his family home in upstate New York. But unfortunately, his condition gets so bad, he dies a year after they move there. Santiago dies. And that is when the book opens. Like literally, he has just passed away and his parents are in the bed with him. And, you know, they're grieving and Jonathan leaves the room and Magos. So this is going to be tough. So just hang in there. 
But Magos, possibly driven mad by grief, decides she wants to take a piece of Santiago to keep. And she wants this one lung that was the source of all his problems. So she does. She, she takes a piece of it and she puts it in a jar. And Jonathan, seeing what his wife has done, is horrified. And this does not help their already strained relationship. This is, you know, he just cannot believe what she has done. Um, but she keeps it. And a few months later, she takes it with her when she returns home by herself to Mexico. She goes to stay at her mother's house. And shortly after she arrives, her mother's housekeeper, Jackie, finds the jar and asks her what it is. And, and Magos explains and Jackie tells her this story of a woman who wanted a child desperately, but could not have her own. So she stole the heart of a dead girl and she fed it and it grew and it became something. It's really, Jackie is telling her a cautionary tale because the woman neither got what she wanted, nor did this story have a happy ending. But Magos only hears she was successful and decides she wants to do it anyway, because what's the harm? She puts a little chicken noodle soup or something like that in the jar with it. Like, what's the harm, right? Well, it starts to grow. It starts to grow and it hisses and it clicks its teeth and it's covered in fur and has this big fangy smile with rows of teeth that stretch across its whole body. And it has this one strange appendage the called the arm that they call the arm tail that hangs off the side of it that it uses to pull itself around and hang off things like a bat. And Magos is delighted. Everyone else, not so much. People see it, they're like, ah, what is that? People who, who are staying in the house, her mom, and, or not her mom, excuse me, but the housekeeper and other people. And it keeps getting bigger and bigger. And it turns out that this thing that she's named Monstrulio has a hunger. And pets and people are not going to be safe. But as Monstrulio grows, begins to change into something resembling a boy. And Magos cannot bear to part with it, no matter how monstrous it gets, no matter what it does. And then his father, John, or Santiago's father, meets Monstrulio and, you know, has opinions about it. And it's a story of grief. How do you behave when you've lost a child? Why do we think grief has a set behavioral pattern? You know, what the strain of losing a child does to our relationship, you know. It's also a story about love for family and friends. Um, Magos and Jonathan have a friend named Lena who has been in love with Magos since they were all in college, uh, and she would do anything for her, and therefore for Monstrulio, who they start calling M as he gets older, uh, they start calling it him, and they name it M. It's a horror novel. It's being billed as a horror novel, because it is. There's some pretty horrifying things in it, but it's really a family drama where one of the family members happens to be monstrous, which still just sounds like a regular family. But it's a beautiful and sad story about what you'll do to protect the ones you love, what you will do to hold on to what you love, whether it's a child or a relationship or a house, and about what it's like to not be able to fight your nature. I do want to give content warnings. Obviously, you've heard me talk about it. You know what's coming, but, uh, you know, content warnings for child illness and harm and suffering and death. There's gore and violence, trauma and grief, and there is repeated animal harm and death. It's Monstrulio by Gerardo Samano Cordova. Well, I'm going to keep the happy books train going. <laughs> <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a little bit of a rough beginning for you guys. <laughs> 
Um, so the first book I want to talk about is Tell the Rest by Lucy Jane Bledsoe. In 2014, I read The Big Bang Symphony by Lucy Jane Bledsoe based solely on the fact that it was included on a book list called Lesbians in Cold Places. And that was a great decision because I really enjoyed it. It's a slow building character study set in Antarctica with a queer main character, of course. So when I saw that she had a new book coming out today, I had to pick it up. I want to start with some heavy content warnings because this is a book about conversion therapy and its aftermath. So I'm going to be discussing conversion camps and homophobia, and the book includes homophobia, abuse, rape, religious trauma, and suicide. The book starts with two kids, a 13-year-old white girl and a 16-year-old black teenage boy running through the woods trying to escape conversion camp. And then we flash forward to 25 years later. Delia is fresh from a divorce and has just gotten fired as a college basketball coach. She is also struggling with uncontrollable attacks of anger. She's never felt more lost or out of control. So reluctantly and unbelievably, she drives across the country to her hometown in rural Oregon to move in with her brother and coach her old high school's girls basketball team. When she was in high school, her basketball coach was her hero. She gave Delia a path to follow, skills to develop, and a passion to nurture at a time where she really didn't know what to do with herself, having just come out of conversion camp. And since then, basketball and the discipline that she has around it has been her guiding light in her life. So maybe she's hoping that by confronting her past, she can address the anger issues that she's having and move on. Maybe she just wants to step into her old coach's shoes and inspire a new generation of kids, or maybe she just has nowhere else to go. Whatever the reason, she is determined to take this team to victory, and she demands the best. While I think this is Delia's story for the most part, we also get some point-of-view chapters from Ernest, the boy she escaped with. They never saw each other again after that night, but they are both really still grappling with it, as well as their experience at Celebration Camp, as it was called. While Delia is at a difficult time in her life, though, grappling with her past, her personality, her anger, her family, her career, and more, Ernest seems more settled. He has a job teaching poetry and a boyfriend that he loves. The central tension in his story is struggling to write a poem about his experience at camp and their escape, which is something that he's been trying and failing to do for years. As both of them find themselves needing to confront the past, it seems inevitable that their stories will eventually meet up. As we follow along with Delia and Ernest now, we also get chapters of their time at Celebration Camp, revealing more about the experience that had such an impact on them. Still, this is more about the ongoing effects of that experience than the camp itself. So unsurprisingly, this isn't a light read. It feels like an open wound. Delia especially is still hurting so much and really doesn't have closure on that. And even though it's 25 years later, this is really her revisiting that time in her life and trying to move through it and come to some kind of closure. Eventually, though, we do see her beginning to work through it, accompanied by the glimpses of the lives of the teenage girls she's coaching. The team has a big presence in the story. 
So if you'd like to read character studies and quiet stories about working through trauma, as well as trying to lead a high school girls basketball team to glory, of course, because that's a big focus, I highly recommend this one. It is a really thoughtful, sometimes painful, but effective narrative. I really enjoyed it. And I liked even just the high school girls team. I thought that even though we just get glimpses of those characters, that they're still really memorable and believable. They're having their own dramas and their own plots, even if they're not always on page. I also think this is an interesting book to read after something like The Miseducation of Cameron Post, because it looks at not just the immediate horror of these conversion camps, but also the aftermath of being taught to hate yourself as a young person. And even though these camps are not as common now with the transphobia and homophobia that we're seeing in the news more and more and that we're seeing in laws getting pushed through, I think it is still sadly really relevant. And that is Tell the Rest by Lucy Jane Bledsoe. All right. I'm going to keep the happy books going. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I like to pick the books that I enjoy the most. You know, I read several books for the show. Sometimes I don't enjoy them. I don't tell you about those. But so I'm picking this one. It's The God of Endings by Jacqueline Holland. I didn't mean to have a bitey theme, but here we are. This is an excellent debut. It's about a woman named Colette Lassange. She runs a school for talented children in upstate New York. It's for artists and, and, you know, she fosters this love of art in these kids. But Colette is sad and lonely. She lives a life of solitude. And partly the reason is because no one actually knows that she's centuries old. Yep. Her real name is Anna. She's been around for over 200 years. She has no family, no children of her own. Um, As you might have guessed, since I mentioned Bitey and centuries old, she's a vampire. It's something that she's, like, I wouldn't say handled well, but, I mean, she's flown, (laughs) bat joke, uh, under the radar, until a troubled student arrives at the school. Something about this student kind of disturbs her, um, and she realizes also, like, her hunger is awakening, something that hasn't happened in a very long time. And this may or may not have attracted the attention of the God of Endings, who may or may not be real. That doesn't help at all, does it? But this book is told back and forth in time over 200 years as we learn about Colette slash Anna when she was younger, how she became a vampire, um, and also her present life, which is actually set in 1984, and her slow descent into madness. This is not a, you know, vampires, Kate Beckinsdale kind of story. It's a lonely, sad vampire story. I mean, it's like thrilling and there's, you know, scary stuff, but it's it's a thoughtful, you know, historical vampire story. It examines the usual things when when vampires are vampires, you know, like what it's like when you lose your family so many centuries ago, you know, and like what your life is like and 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 motherhood. And this one really examines what being quote unquote alive for that long can do to your brain. 
it's a moody vampire novel, which is exactly what I wanted. It's a really great debut. It made me want to go back and read Interview with the Vampire and the moody little Louie. I, I haven't watched the new series. I kind of forgot that it existed until I saw a commercial for it the other day. I don't know if anyone has seen it or enjoyed it, but I don't even want to watch the movie. I just want to read the book again. But this was excellent. I do want to give content warnings for uh, child abuse and death, suicide, animal death, and chemical use and abuse. This is The God of Endings by Jacqueline Holland. So I think we decided to both just read sad books. (laughs) (laughs) Well, these are the ones I like best. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes they're really good. And uh, unfortunately, I also decided to accidentally pick two books about conversion therapy, which I didn't do on purpose, but they are both really good. So I'm going to talk about both of them. And this one is My Dear Henry, a Jekyll and Hyde remix by Kaylin Bayron. This is a series I've been really interested in, but it's the first one that I've actually picked up. And also the first one I've read by this author, even though I've been meaning to for ages. So I was very excited about it. It starts with a content warning page, which I always appreciate. So the official content warnings are racism and queerphobia in the context of the late 19th century, instances of sexual harassment, assault, attempted sexual assault, and fictional elements reminiscent of conversion therapy. So this book is divided into Before, which starts in 1883, and Present, which starts in 1885. We follow Gabriel Utterson, who is a Black medical student. He would rather be a lawyer, but he was kind of pushed into it. And even though this school now allows Black students, it's still, unsurprisingly, a deeply racist institution, and he is not allowed to stay on school grounds like the white students do. So he is staying at a nearby boarding house, and that's where he meets fellow student Henry Jekyll. And at first, I was a little confused by the pacing, because very quickly, Henry and Gabriel get together. And then we skip forward after the summer, where Gabriel has returned kind of a little bit changed, not in a Jekyll and Hyde way, just in that he's grown up some. And he's also much more concerned about people finding out about him and Gabriel than he was before. So Gabriel is very hurt and confused by this push and pull. And soon after that, Gabriel's father, who teaches at the school, and he is also very strict and demanding with Henry, he teaches even though, again, this is a very racist institution, so he's kind of shoved into a basement classroom and not long after this, he is fired. And after that, Gabriel is expelled, and Henry is also threatened with expulsion, all for racist, homophobic reasons. And that's when we catch up to the present, and the pace levels out. So it makes sense that that was a little fast-paced, because it's just backstory to get to this version of the Jekyll and Hyde story. The original novella is so short that there is a lot of room for exploring different angles. So this remix is about racism and homophobia more than an abstract idea of the repressed monster within us all. Even if you're familiar with Jekyll and Hyde, and you likely are to some extent just from cultural osmosis, even if you haven't read it, there are still questions right until the end about what the exact details of this take on it entail. I really like these kind of retellings that 
move it in a really different direction, but still have enough nods to the original story that it does feel like a retelling. That's exactly what I want out of something like this. And as you'd expect from a retelling of a gothic novella, this is a dark, brooding story. Homophobia is really a central theme of the story, as well as racism. And beside that, we also have Gabriel just pining over Henry, this whole book, just really hurt by his sudden change. So this is another one that's not exactly a happy read, but I think it was a really interesting take on this story. And Jekyll and Hyde is one of the few classics that I actually have read and really enjoyed. So I liked being able to visit it in this different form. And I think it would work well whether or not you've read the original book, as long as you are aware of the content warnings. And that is My Dear Henry, a Jekyll and Hyde remix by Kaylin Baron. Okay, so those are books that we have read and loved. And now we are going to talk quickly about a few of today's releases that we have not read necessarily, but are excited about um, both in hardcover and paperback. Although I think all of mine are in hardcover. I don't know. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to hear from another sponsor. Um, I'm going to start by mentioning The Golden Spoon by Jessa Maxwell, um, which has this amazing cover. It's like a spoon. No surprises there. It's gold. No surprises there. It has like this little like old estate house at the top of it. And the cover is so shiny that I was trying to take a photo of it and I could not find an angle. It took me so long to find an angle where it didn't reflect like everything around me because it was so shiny. And then it's just gorgeous. But the blurbs for this book compare it to Clue, to The Great British Bake Off, to Only Murders in the Building, which is exciting. Those, you know, like, that all makes me so happy. I was just looking at my notes now, and I thought that it said that it was being compared to The Burbs. And I was like, wait, what? That Tom Hanks movie? But actually, I wrote The Blurbs (laughs) compare it to. I gotta learn to read my own writing. But this is about a murder that takes place on the set of a baking competition. Uh, It is the 10th season of this baking competition set at this great estate in Vermont. The description only says that a body is found. It doesn't say whose body it is. So you'll have to read it to find out. But this was already snatched up and is being made into a limited series for Hulu. Um, It sounds very exciting. I look forward to reading it. It is The Golden Spoon by Jessa Maxwell. I gotta pick that up because that's some of my favorite things. Great British Bake Off meets Clue. <laughs> yeah, I'm so, so into all these. Like, I don't watch reality shows, but I, well, I do watch some of the baking ones, but I love, like, all these books that take place during, like, baking competitions yeah. now. So many, so fun. I appreciate this trend. I also <laughs> have a fun mystery to talk about is The Mimicking of Known Successes by Malka Older. And it's fun. I'm, I'm so excited to read. The elevator pitch is that it is a sapphic mystery in space where the main character has to team up with her ex-girlfriend to solve the case of a missing person on Jupiter, which was enough to put it on my TBR. But in case you need more convincing, 
Mata is an investigator at a Jupiter outpost, and as you would guess, it's a little tricky to live on a gas giant. Each of the colonies is on platforms connected with a rail system that encircles the planet, and she takes a case about a man who disappeared from a remote rail car, and it leads her to some unexpected places. First, it takes her to the Colonies University, where her ex works, Pleidy. Pleidy has studied the ecosystems of past Earth, and she thinks there is hope for humanity one day returning there. Pleidy agrees to be basically Watson to Massa's calculating Sherlock, and they investigate together. And it turns out that wrapped up in this case, the future of the Earth is at stake. And along the way to possibly saving the planet, they also might be falling for each other again. So this is supposed to be a cozy Sherlockian sapphic mystery in space. What more could you want? And that is The Mimicking of Known Successes by Malka Older. Very excited about that one. Yeah. My other pick for today is Pineapple Street by Jenny Jackson. I'm excited about this because Jenny Jackson is the the vice president and executive editor at Knopf. And I love Knopf. I love the books that she has worked on. I always think it's so fascinating to read a book by someone in publishing, like the, like when they've been working with people in different capacities and then they write their own novel. Um, I'm very excited to read that. Um, it's about three wealthy women in Brooklyn who are trying to figure out their lives and the changes that they can't control. So if you love a funny family drama about, you know, rich people problems, this is getting great reviews. I'm very excited to read it. Uh, true story, I went was invited to a party once in Brooklyn for an author that uh, Jenny Jackson had worked on the novel and... This doesn't sound funny, but I promise it's funny. Um, I realized I was going to faint while I was at the party. And I was like, I cannot faint in front of Jenny Jackson. So I went out in the hallway and fainted there instead. Um, because I just love and respect her so much. Is that is that a funny story? I don't know. <laughs> I thought it was funny. But anyway, this one is Pineapple Street by Jenny Jackson. It's funny sad. I think I can't. Yeah. I mean, I was fine. Like, I was having health issues. Yeah. It's all taken care of now. I, you know, I recognized that I was, like, very nervous to be around her, and she was talking, and I was like, <laughs> I'm going to faint on. So I was like, excused myself and passed out in the hallway. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Okay. The last book I want to talk about today, though I'm going to shoehorn in some other ones as well, is The Guardian Test by Christina Suntornvat, illustrated by Kevin Hong. There are some really promising looking middle grade novels out today. For example, there's Skywriters by Polly Hollyoak, which looks like truly a gift for horse obsessed kids. I can imagine so many kids will love the story about being able to telepathically communicate with your flying horse and then saving the world together. So cute. And then there's the newest middle grade graphic novel by Kay O'Neill, The Moth Keeper. They wrote The Tea Dragon Society, and therefore I'm going to pick up every comic they ever write, and I haven't been steered wrong yet. 
And then there's also The Scroll of Chaos by Elsie Chapman. I'm sorry, there's so many I needed to talk about. This is about a kid who uses a magic scroll to help her mom's depression and instead ends up being transported to a realm filled with creatures from Chinese mythology. So there are so many I'm interested in, but I especially was looking at The Guardian Test, which is the first book in a series called Legends of Lotus Island. Plum has just been accepted into the prestigious Guardian Academy on Lotus Island. Along with her classmates, she'll be taught to transform into magical creatures called guardians in order to defend the natural world. They're taught meditation, how to communicate with animals, and how to fight. And she just loves this new school and the community that she finds there. They're the best friend she's ever had. The only problem is that she can't transform. And as every other their student at Guardian Academy becomes majestic creatures. Plum is left panicking that she's going to be kicked out of the community that she just found. This looks like a great choice for beginning chapter book readers. It's under 200 pages and has adorable illustrations, judging from the cover. And that is The Guardian Test by Christina Suntornvat, illustrated by Kevin Hong. All right. So those are our picks for today. And now it's time for a little paperback lightning round. There are so many books out today. It was so hard for me to pick. And I don't even know like if I'm going to get through all of these because there are so many. Danica's going to be like, okay, enough. But I'm going to try. <laughs> I'm going to kick it off with The Fifth Wound by Aurora Mattia, uh, which I've heard such amazing things about this. I've read the description many times and... Uh, there's so much going on that I'm just going to read you a line from the description. It says it's featuring time travel, medieval nuns, knifings, and tea for tea romance. The fifth wound indulges the blur between fantasy and reality. Um, yes, please. Uh, the next pick is A Witch's Guide to Fake Dating a Demon by Sarah Hawley, which is about a witch who accidentally summons a demon while doing a spell. And then the demon decides that she is what he needs to restore his reputation, apparently. Um, he's not as scary anymore as he used to be, so they're going to hang out together. I'm sure sparks will fly. Tremors in the Blood, Murder, Obsession, and the Birth of the Lie Detector by Amit Katwala. This is about the polygraph and how when the polygraph, known as the lie detector test, was invented, uh, it was taken as gospel and it was used in so many trials and so many people were convicted based on its evidence, which it turns out is quite faulty. And it looks at, you know, how that happened. Mr. and Mrs. Witch by Gwenda Bond. This is a Mr. and Mrs. Smith kind of witch adventure. Uh, if you look at the cover, there's an illustration where the witches are drawn like Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie from the Mr. and Mrs. Smith poster. But it's about witches. It's about these two people who find out that they've been hiding secret identities from each other uh, after they get married. Also, now, these are paperbacks out from hardcover today. Starting with All My Rage by Saba Tahir. This won the National Book Award for Young People's Literature. It's about two teens in America whose family came from Pakistan. It's about cultural expectations as well as the racism that they face here in the United States. Breathless by Amy McCulloch, which I know was a big hit with Book Riot contributors this year or last year, about a journalist who thinks that she's hit on a really great story about a climber, but unfortunately, to get that story, she has to go on a climb, uh, and as they start to climb the mountain, people start to die, and she thinks someone is actually doing it on purpose. 
The Candy House by Jennifer Egan, which is the sequel to A Visit from the Goon Squad, which won the Pulitzer Prize. Um, I have not read this one yet. I look forward to reading it. It got like a million billion reviews, like amazing reviews, like give or take. I think it was one of the New York Times top five novels of last year. Um, and it's now in paperback. Then Kaikei by Vishnavi Patel. We talked about this on the podcast when it came out because it's excellent. It is about the queen from the ancient epic, the Ramayana. But this time, instead of being the villain of the story, this is her story. So it's kind of like Cersei where you like get to hear the other side of the tale. And it's very exciting. Ocean State by Stuart O'Nan, a family drama about mothers and daughters and sisters set in Rhode Island. If you ask authors, like, who is the nicest author you've ever met? Very often people will say Stuart O'Nan. Just, like, the nicest person ever. Seriously. And, and I don't know why I'd tell you that, but I just like that, you know? It must be nice to have a reputation like that. Red Paint, the ancestral autobiography of a Coast Salish punk by Sasha LaPointe. This is the winner of the 2023 Pacific Northwest Book Award. This is her memoir where she combines her indigenous history uh, with her art and her punk lifestyle now. The Last Suspicious Holdout, stories by Lady Hubbard. Lady Hubbard is the author of The Rib King, which was my favorite book of 2021, and I've read 10 times and will never shut up about. These are amazing stories. I was so excited that we got these so quickly after The Rib King came out. That was very exciting. Memphis by Tara M. Stringfellow, about a woman and her daughters who escape their abusive father and move into the family home in Memphis. Sundial by Katrina Ward. This is a horror novel about a woman who grew up on this weird, like, I can't even remember if this is a spoiler, so I'll just say, like, she's going back to where she grew up, and it's experimental and strange, and she's bringing her family with her, and more weird things are going to happen. And that is what I have for paperbacks today. Danica, what are you going to read next? I am going to read a comic in the Tales of Exandria series called The Bright Queen. This is a critical role comic, and I'm really enjoying it so far. It's so pretty, and even if I don't completely understand what's happening, but that's fine. <laughs> what are you reading? I'm reading The Rachel Incident by Caroline O'Donoghue, which is so awesome so far. Super cringy. I mentioned that I was going to read it, and all these people that I know were like, oh my god, it's the best. And I was like, why didn't anyone tell me this sooner? Um, but so far, it's about this young woman uh, in Ireland who moves in with a co-worker. She works at a bookstore, um, and she's in love with her professor, but so is her co-worker. And it's, it's really good. So very excited about that. And... We made it to the end. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a little touch and go there for a while. Yeah. Um, but if you want to go and check out the deep dive, visit bookriot.substack.com. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online. We hang out on Instagram. Danica is the les... Oh, no, not the lesbary. Just lesbary. L-E-S-B-R-A-R-Y. I am friends and comes alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is that you get your podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. 
And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy happy reading. reading!